0: Welcome, one and all, to Be Real Guys, a very special edition of Be Real Guys, and welcome, Noah Ballard, to my childhood bedroom in Omaha, Nebraska.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty cool here. It's uh, your childhood bedroom has clearly become the storage facility for uh, the furniture of yesteryear, some antiquated technology, and uh, some movies you claim are not yours, but clearly are, including, but not limited to. Uh, The Mask of Zorro on VHS. That's my mom's. And the first two seasons of Monk on DVD. Those belong to the family.
0: Welcome. I'm happy to see you. I'm
1: happy to see you. We've had such a nice little uh, conceivable past together. We have. Uh, Normally, Noah lives in Brooklyn. I live in Portland,
0: Oregon. But we spent New Year's together. And uh, a few
1: dark days in dark rooms afterward. Oof. Doing nothing but watching movies. You can't. I mean, after New Year's, uh, you have very few choices other than just watching movies. A lot of them.
0: That's precisely what we did. Uh, So what are we dubbing, officially dubbing today's pod? We're dubbing it The Hangover Pod. Yeah, The Hangover Pod.
1: Um, But I think, yeah, in honor of our... Not feeling that great when we watched any of these movies, and uh, thinking of you know New Year's resolutions and things of that manner. Uh, you know the the trying to connect with one's family before it's too late seemed to be the overarching uh, conceit of all three of the films that we watched. That coincidentally were all on last week's
0: trailer pod. Not really a coincidence, but <laughs> well, that's the third way in which they're linked. Is there all movies that came out in twenty fifteen. None of them were particularly seen on a wide level, and yeah, if you haven't listened to the trailer pod yet, we certainly had a good time doing it. It's the uh, episode, the full episode you see right before this one, so you can go back and check that out. But uh, today, we're going to be talking about Run All Night yep. with uh, Liam Neeson and Ed Harris. We're going to be talking about Danny Collins, oh starring God. Danny Collins, no, starring... Uh, nearly 80 year old sequenced Al Pacino yeah, and his like, little his little scarves yeah and we're gonna talk about Mississippi grind the uh, the stark realism Ryan Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden. you got it who did half Nelson and uh, it's kind of a funny story that movie stars Ben Mendelson Ryan Reynolds these are very different these are different movies but they're linked by the theme that Noah geniusly scrawled out on a napkin
1: while we were watching the third one right well I was like as horizontal as one could be while still being considered sitting up straight. Yep. Ugh.
0: So where are we diving in here?
1: Um, Let's go. How about the order in which we watched them? Yeah, we started with Run All Night. We were looking for, like, a... Well, that's, like, I feel like the conceit of the podcast is looking for movies, at least for me, that we can just pop on on, like, a, a lazy afternoon. And Run All Night seemed to fit the bill for... Potentially, what did we say it was in the trailer pod? Potentially bad good? In the trailer pod, I think I said bad good. I think you said good good. I think I really did like the trailer. It's a good trailer. It is a good trailer. and. Oh, Danny Danny boy! boy. (laughs) That was great. That was good. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Right now, we're the most wanted men in this city. I know how this works. They're going to start pulling your life apart.
0: So as we said in the trailer pod, Run All Night is one of these uh, Liam Neeson particular set of skills movies in the vein of Taken. And in fact, the person who directed this movie, forgive me, Jean-Mais
1: Collet-Serm, a French director. I'm glad you tackled that one because I looked at the IMDb page earlier and really didn't want to get that Probably
0: uh, did unknown and nonstop
1: with but he also did like, a Neeson. series of like really campy looking horror movies yeah
0: yeah. Um, but I suppose we could dive in here because one of the best things about this movie uh, is its first half hour and the ways in which it subverts your expectations for how Liam Neeson behaves in one of these movies.
1: Right. I mean, well that's the thing about this movie is that it's it's not your taken. It. It's not like uh, he doesn't like wake up because of something and suddenly like have to use these skills he's crafted over years. This is like a desperate guy who's just using his knowledge of how like a crime organization works just to get the, uh, to save his son who's been implicated in this murder of the, of the, the Kingpin's son and the this, Kingpins played
0: by Ed Harris, the Ed
1: Harris Kingpin. Um, yeah. And it's, it's sort of, Goes off from there, but it's not like he was ever. I mean, he's a drunk, and he like smokes pretty heavily, and he's like always making these rude like advances on like other like other uh, of his coworkers' wives. Yeah, he's like he's not
0: a good guy. He's really a fuck up, and the only person who believes in him is the Ed Harris character. Right. Although I might disagree with you a little bit. Like he does sort of wake up because it's not clear when the last time he's done a job is. Like right, well he's a like
1: hit. right. He's now doing like he's like the Santa for the gang. Yeah, like it, he's doing like the nominal tasks. Right, but so in a way he is kind of. Oh, I mean, it out. still gets to be, like the it Liam Neeson. It becomes Mason, the movie you think it's going to become. For but sure. it like definitely yeah, it has an interesting path on the way to getting there. And another piece of it too is that this guy he's um, you're supposed to think that he's done like what seventeen hits Something in his like career, that, yeah. and now he's kind of washed out, and the demons have really like at night, Liam, when the demons come. Yep. Um, and then there's this early scene in this diner when a police detective played by, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is basically like, you know, these, we need to give these people closure for the people they've lost. Like, why don't you just turn yourself in guy? And right. he like throws back some pretty racist and uncalled for remark towards his Hispanic partner. Right. But, uh, so, but that's like the guilt that's weighing on this guy is that he's killed all these people and now like can't sleep and can't really function as a human being and he has this estranged son and his son has this little family but he's sort of working class. He's like a limousine driver. Yep. So.
0: And through a series of circumstances, if we didn't say, his son ends up seeing the Kingpin's son uh, perform a murder and so the Kingpin's son goes to kill the limo driver's son and Liam has no choice
1: but that's a to kill, kill the, the kingpin's, kingpin's uh, son, Ed Harris's son, his childhood friend who's watched out for him all these years. Yep. And so the running all night begins.
0: Yes. Yes, indeed it does. Um, why don't we talk about some of the people who have bit parts in this movie?
1: Yeah, that's... Like weird bit parts. Well, this movie feels like it was... I don't know. It feels like the source material was longer or something, and like Definitely when they does. like signed up some of these people, like Bruce McGill, like the character actor Bruce McGill is in this movie. I don't think he has a single line. Like no. this is a pretty well respected, like scale pay actor that like probably requires some amount of money to not speak. Yeah, who's very good at
0: talking. He is very He's good a at good talking. Supporting performer
1: Though his mustache says more than. Hell yeah. More than most. Um, and then the Liam Neeson's mom, he like yep. visits her in the hospital in one point. And it's the like the old crazy woman who invented the precogs from Minority Report. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even open her eyes. Right. She's literally just a body. Yeah. Like that it just feels like that was a longer scene when she's like, Go get him, Liam. Like make it right with your son. Yeah. Like before she expires dramatically.
0: Yeah, so in the one way it's surprising and cool that like this movie spends a little time with characters in the real world. But in another way, like it has to like be wrenched from that. Right. And because of those casting things you talked about, it feels like it was when it was wrenched, like right. things frayed and came apart and the studio got in the way.
1: Yeah, and there's also like the foil in the movie is common playing this Hitman that's hired by Ed Harris when Ed Harris realizes that not like a father's love will trump like a, uh, I guess the the his typical routes of killing people. Right. So he he enlists the help of um, Common who will kill Liam Neeson for free because of some backstory that's really never been established. Right. And then when they finally do interact, there's all this tension between them as if they had like an earlier scene together and they don't. There's a scene where he's like luring him down a hallway. You don't even know that they know each other. And right. And then he's like, Rice, you dumb motherfucker. Uh, like, you down. coward. <laughs> yeah. it's so it's kind of bizarre. It is kind of bizarre. But at the same time, I think that's somewhat better than having like Than having maybe like a cheesy...
0: It at least makes it interesting.
1: It does make it interesting because you don't know... That's what I do like about this movie is that you don't really know what it's going to do because it is subverting a lot of expectations while also still operating within the genre of Liam Neeson like as sort of a caricature of an action
0: hero. I mean,
1: by the time it gets to the place it's going to get, it's actually kind of boring. Right, I mean, it's a pretty, yeah, the last half an hour or so are pretty expected tropes of, like, what, uh, I have to protect my son and reconnect with him, kind of. I'm an American actor. Yeah, (laughs) I was born in the United States and had a normal working class upbringing (laughs) kind of movie. Well, I tell you, like, what doesn't... Where this movie, like, rings false for me, like, in, in an authenticity way, is that it's set in New York... But it's also like, it's not New York, you know, like you're there's, it starts in like Queens and then awkwardly shifts to Manhattan and then to Brooklyn, but everyone's kind of got Boston accents and like the rule, like, I mean, as someone who lives in New York city, like the New York they render is not like that realistic, right? You know, like, there's these scenes in, like, the public bathrooms in the subway, which don't exist. And, you know, and, like, they're getting from... (laughs) I mean, presumably it's a busy night, like, right before the holidays. And they're getting from borough to borough, like, pretty easily without any traffic. Or, like, any other people getting in the way. Yep. So, it's a strange... And, like, but that's the thing. The movie relies on the fact that, like, these are, like, good old boys from Queens. But they don't talk like that. They talk like they're from Southie.
0: Well, yeah, D'Onofrio talks like he's from Southie, and Liam Neeson talks like an Irish person, and Ed Harris just talks in his voice. Right. Like, yeah. And you don't trust him. No! I've I've plenty of reason not to, according to this movie. Well, at least he has
1: a code that you can sort of rely on in this one. Yes. Oh, great. An old white man articulating a code of
0: violence. Uh, Liam Neeson's got a code, too. Yeah, the direction is not great. If existent at all. Hold on there are there is one very obvious visual choice that it makes where to show the movement from borough to borough bar- it hyperlapses and like takes you on like a speeding birds eye view to like different places in right. the city. Well
1: it's so obsessed with being in the five boroughs yet it doesn't seem to actually like care that it's in the five boroughs. Like yeah. it's only in New York so it can have like this funny trick. The funny trick is not to establish that it's in New York. That's a great yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Because, like, you end up in these, like, and there's a. One of the climactic scenes is in this, like, housing project that looks, like, super European in design and does not look like any of the housing projects that exist in New York.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean. It's well, and like, then the final showdown happens in, like, a train yard in Youngstown, Ohio. Right. It happens in, like, a very, like. And that's. They're always in, like, not populated areas. Yeah. But when you, like. When the camera is, like, telling you where you are in town, I mean, just someone with, a cultural knowledge of New York City, like, knows that, like, that part of town is not abandoned. Yeah. (laughs) And that I don't know, that visual gag
0: also is just a cheap gag. We were making fun of it. It looks like a, a commercial for where we went to college. Right. Where it, like, wants to show you, like, the full... Breath of campus right. in, like, a 30-second commercial space.
1: Right, but this is a two-hour movie, and it doesn't necessarily have to play that game. No,
0: it like, it's not the sort of thing that this sort of movie needs. Mm-hmm. And then there's also just, like, some really bad cuts, and anytime you, like, notice, like, really bad cuts in a movie, right.
1: like, that's trouble. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing about it, too, is it's not a well-shot movie. No, it, not at all. And, like, the, the tricks are so... Like, the visual tricks are... Like, that one and... Like, the weird slowdown sometimes when there's, like, a bullet leaving a gun. It's like, we don't need that. Like, the movie, the script itself is, like, a pretty serious crime drama, yet it's directed with, like, the subtlety of... A hint of of smoking aces. uh, Right, like, the subtlety of, like, a Joe Carnahan or something. Yeah. So, I don't know. I... There is... But don't you feel like there is a good movie in here?
0: Well, Harris and Neeson, I think there are moments in this movie that I was talking about that the director thinks that he has a Pacino-De Niro heat showdown on his hands with right. like, this level of actor. And like they are good actors, and everyone knows if that. If he's
1: ever seen the movie. He... Right.
0: <laughs> they are good actors. Um, right. So they can certainly play these not super interesting roles well enough to show you that they care. Right. That makes
1: you care a little bit. Right. Yeah, there's they're they're pretty bought into the, the conflict there. Um But yeah, just like the direction and the construction of the movie and like how it came together in the editing room just like doesn't do the performances any favors and kind of like emphasizes these weird beats of these like somewhat cringeworthy like one liners mm-hmm. when you know like Liam Neeson keeps talking about, like, just, like, the sheer length of his penis. And, like, it, the, at one point, he's, like, holding a piece of, like, broken-off sink that he's going to kill this guy with. And he, like, says something to the effect of, like, I've never seen, like... He's talking to the, the guy guy's bets to kill. He's like, your wife is like, took my dick better than anyone I've ever seen. And then kills him. And, like, wha, wha, I don't know why. Like, that's his, like... It's super weird. I don't know why that's his, like is going out loud. But
0: only to that one guy. Right. To no one else in the movie is he, like, a real shit-talker. Right. It's super weird. And he
1: shit-talks that guy and flirts with his wife in that earlier scene, which makes me wonder, was there a subplot, like, with him and that wife, like, maybe having... Maybe they did, like, have a romance at one point. Tough to say. It is tough to say.
0: So to push toward our rating, again, I think it's the kind of movie when you think about the performances and how it wants to use the city and the tone with which it wants to tell this dark story, it kind of, like, it understands on, like, a level of, like, box ticking, like, what it, it needs to do, and it it's, it's respectful of ticking those boxes, so they do definitely make an imprint on the movie, but, like, they are not considered holistically yeah. in terms of how it's written, made,
1: what have you. Right. Yeah, I mean, it just sort of deeply misunderstands I mean, I just think setting it in New York was a huge mistake because, like, the whole conceit of the movie is that these two guys, this man and his estranged son, like, running around, like, being the most wanted men in New York Mm -hmm. for, like, a night, but somehow implying that, like, a city that, you know facilitates has like facilitated a terrorist attack in the past 10 years seems to only have like 12 on duty cops and one detective working and no traffic whatsoever and i don't know i just think if you really boil down how this movie was made it's just like it's just it's not an authentic experience sure i don't know do you agree
0: yeah, I mean, I said. My, it just feels like my piece. they could have said it nowhere. They could have just right. It could right, just, be it could a just been a city. It would yeah, be yeah, fine. yeah.
1: Well, it's a movie about New York made by someone who, like, I don't think has ever been to New York, right? Or has any idea like how like these like working class people like grow up and yeah. how they interact with each other. And there's really no diversity to speak of either. Like, I thought that was kind of disingenuous to be like, oh yeah, people who grew up in Queens who are like roughly that age have never seen a black or hispanic person.
0: Yeah, it's another I mean it's another one of those movies that exists in a gangster universe of movies that keep getting made where like we just have to have white gangsters because right. we, we don't know any other way to do it. Yeah. And and yes, Common will come in with
1: his one-eye night vision goggle and get his face disfigured in a burning building, but right. of oh, his Mr. Peanut uh His his monocle, his night vision monocle. I'll kill that motherfucker for free. I'll kill that motherfucker for free. (laughs) Go, go, go. I went into this... Oh my God. (laughs) I went into this movie thinking, or into this review rather, thinking that I was going to go bad, good, but chance I'm... I I think I know where you stand. I think I'm going to have to give it a bad, bad, with an asterisk if I was... I mean, I wasn't... You know, it wasn't a miserable way to spend a hungover hour and 45 for minutes. Sure. And the five. first 40 minutes is interesting enough. But I wouldn't watch it again, nor would I recommend it, so I'm going to have to go bad, bad. Yeah,
0: I think it's a bad, bad too, but I, I think I'd give it like a, a C-, yeah. kind of in that range. Yeah. but Points for effort. And then a little later that afternoon, after I'd chugged two vitamin waters and gone to fetch some noodling company. And gotten hit by a car. Yeah, a lady hit my car at Walgreens when I honked on the horn like 20 times, and then all she could say was, this is my daughter's car. So I just, like, left.
1: Was the car okay, though? car was just fine. It was... An you just, like, ad- like, were beside yourself when you returned to this. So to set up the situation a little bit better oh, yeah, of yeah, what yeah. we were... What we were doing. So, we were staying in this house on sort of the outskirts of Lincoln, Nebraska, in this like pretty much abandoned student housing colony that exists one yeah. at 14th and Superior, if you have any inclination towards the Lincoln geography. Um, and yeah, we were in this minimally furnished student apartment or student house, and Chance went out to get us some provisions and came back like. Just a just a shell of a man, and he tells me this story. <laughs> but about getting, I wasn't in that much going on when I left. Right, but you were just—you told me this about getting hit by a car, and then you like kept getting mad at me for like eating more of my cold pasta. You were like so mad that I like kept picking at it, but like that's what I do. I take breaks. That's cool. But anyway, so to set the scene, we watched this one. We ate a little. A little pasta, noodles and Coke. and then Chance like would not let it go that he really wanted to watch Danny Collins, and I like sort of put this in the back of my mind. And then we were flipping through this, these uh, college people's Time Warner on demand, and they had it on there for what like a buck ninety nine or yep. something, and we just strapped ourselves in. We had to do it. We had to watch Danny Collins. <laughs> Do you remember having an interview when you were a kid, Chime Magazine? You write like Lennon, man. John Lennon read it, and he wrote you a letter in 1971. Can you believe it?
0: Yeah, so this is one we also covered in the trailer pod. It's like your classic, under genre I have written down, retirement humanism. Like it's your, like That's an nice. old person uh, trying to... Who has been financially successful, professionally successful, but needs to needs to reconcile and try to become human again in their Correct. last in their last days? And yeah. that's that's Al Pacino as the Neil Diamond esque pop singer Danny Collins,
1: the eponymous Danny Collins. Yeah, where to start with this movie? <sighs> Danny Collins for me is not. I mean, it's it was not simply a movie. It was like the context by which we lived the rest of the weekend. It really was. It's a movie that will, like, truly burrow into your brain and into, like, that thing that makes you, like, want to sing, like, annoying songs, like, over and over again, especially because... I mean, you have, like, the idea of Al Pacino being such a caricature of a human being or an actor these days. We took
0: years off our
1: tenors doing Pacino impressions all day. All day. And then he's given these like amazing opportunities to sing these like cheesy bubblegum like early 70s pop ballads that are made up that are made movie, up that sound but are perfectly in style they're perfectly in style of like sweet caroline or you know whatever garbage thing that like you know neil diamond our would parents say. sort of listened to on the radio and yeah. couldn't get away from
0: We sang that all weekend. We sang it at the bars. We sang it at dinner tonight.
1: I of. We sang it for no... Every time the spirit moved me, I
0: just... I dare you to watch this movie and not get that... It's... Honestly, it might be a better song than Sweet Caroline. Well, it doesn't have any verses.
1: <laughs> it's just that. Over and over again. So there's six lines over and over again. And... So the whole point of this movie here and this goes back to our original genre is you have a successful person who has to reconnect with their family before it's too late. So Al Pacino's Danny Collins, you know, is doing the like what Neil Diamond does now, like going around playing these big venues for baby boomers, sort of speaking the words to his formerly ubiquitous songs. He just put out Greatest Hits Volume 3. Yeah. But it only appears that he had one greatest hit singular, right? but whatever. Um, and he receives for his, like, some birthday, I guess he's supposed to be 70 or something. Yeah. He receives for his birthday this undelivered letter from uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono that referenced an interview he did, like, 35 years earlier where he said he was concerned about being corrupted by fame and fortune. And John Lennon writes in this letter that says, like, don't give up. Like, hang in there with your art, and if you ever need help, call me, and gives him his home phone number.
0: What do you think about that, Danny Collins?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Don't start that again. Fine. So, he cancels his tour, Danny Collins, and goes to suburban New Jersey to find his estranged son. Mm -hmm. Played by Bobby Cannavale and his pregnant
0: wife, Jennifer Garner
1: this movie only like <laughs> trades in stock characters basically. Yeah. And like stock scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, so as like the doting stay at home mom. Yeah. She's looking pretty good.
0: Yeah. And speaking of stock scenarios, the, the daughter who you just is really just like an excitable kid. Probably, she's precocious at worst. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, probably the worst cliche of this movie oh. Is this idea that it's so taxing and bad that she has mild ADHD, despite appearing to be an extremely intelligent, loving child.
1: Yeah. Who gets excited about things that children get excited about. Like Danny Collins coming to the door. Like if Neil fucking Diamond showed up at your house and you like had some sort of cultural knowledge, that would be like a thing to get excited about. That's super weird to think that maybe Neil Diamond was your grandfather. Yeah. But anyway, so that's sort of mixed with um his son being like completely he hates he hates Danny Collins, yeah, he, and so the three the four of them like try to like sort of work out maybe that they can be a family. and meanwhile, Danny Collins is living in this Hilton,
0: yeah, managed by Annette Benning,
1: managed by Annette Benning and like a team of beautiful teenagers, one of whom is um. Josh Peck, formerly of fat Nickelodeon fame, and <laughs> has the, he's the valet. Yeah. In like the bit part of bit parts.
0: Yeah, and then in the vein of like those, what I talked about this is the trailer pod, in the vein of those like Nicholson reconciliation movies that are exactly this way, Danny Collins finally like meets like an age appropriate woman to try to have a relationship with. That... Age appropriate
1: meaning like only 30 years
0: younger than him and not 50. And that ends up being Annette Bening. So, like, it does all the things that you know it's going to do.
1: And all the things you want it to do.
0: But I think there are... Okay, so let's talk about Pacino.
1: Right. Wow!
0: (laughs) What is this hotel? (laughs) Um, He... So he's doing all the things that Al Pacino has done
1: since Scent of a Woman. I think he's doing all the things that people have made fun of Al Pacino for doing since Scent of a Woman, but keep going. So, and that, of course, that means
0: appearing to improv in a drama, something that's not done, giving the most bizarre pauses, turning his lyrics, or turning his lines into really, like, sing-song poems. Like, really strange
1: you Yeah, having these stuff. moments where you think he's just, like... Speaking what may have been the stage directions like from the script. Yeah. I am in a hotel. I am surveying the lobby. Look at me and the counter. (laughs) Like, um,
0: okay. But here's the thing. I think that there is something about his level of weirdness and his level of excitement that makes him playing the Danny Collins character so much richer than, like, Jack Nicholson just being an old asshole who has money. Like, he is perfect for this role in the... He's got this weird thing about him and the way he interacts so easily with people, all while looking so gross, where you can tell, I think, that he relates on some level to this feeling of being a guy who can usually just talk to people and get whatever he wants. Like, he never is being an asshole, he's always just performing. He's just being right. his...
1: Well, he's doing what he, his persona is on stage. He just, yeah. If he hams it up enough, society has told him that he'll get what he wants.
0: He's got this bravado and this emptiness that feels, even in this goofy-ass movie, like, feels pretty <laughs> immersive.
1: Right. But the movie is, like, super goofy, though. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it hits... I don't think there was a single moment like in the movie that was to me like unexpected. Like you basically just Pacino talking. Like I think I called in the trailer pod that there was going to be like some disease or death or something that they were going to have to overcome. You sure did, and there sure was. And that's that was the hook of the movie. It was not who I thought it was going to be, but right. uh, that's what it was. It was it's it ultimately devolves into like uh, family rallies. To survive like a somewhat serious Albeit vaguely described Disease drama Yeah, And like you know horror, Like a previously Bad estranged people Throwing money at situations And even though they acknowledge that's what's happened That still sort of gets them off right. From like all their previous sins
0: Which is like run all night I, think, I just think the starting point I think this is the uh, Writing screenplay and directorial debut From Dan Fogelman I just think it's a good, it's just a richer vantage point to start one of these movies from, you know, because yeah. to, to just be like, to start with this pop star, just to start with this idea of a coked up yeah. Neil Diamond who like has qualms about the fact that he's sold out. Even if you're going to do exactly the same things, like that's a better place to begin from than sure. just your average see upper class person.
1: I disagree with that being like the more interesting hook of the movie. Like I think with Run All Night, I feel like in, in a narrative way that there is like a good movie in there somewhere had it been directed differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think there is a good movie like in Danny Collins. I think incidentally because of how hammy it is because of how silly al pacino is and because of how like charming that little girl is and his uh relationships with people And there's great chemistry between like christopher plumbers in it too as his manager like there's these great relationships in it but ultimately it's a pretty run-of-the-mill you know it's a pretty run-of-the-mill beat-for-beat like yeah. old person looks for redemption movie Yep. that I think becomes entertaining despite its best efforts. Like you have to grant me that there are scenes in this movie that are like 12 minutes long of people just talking and dumping out info at you. Like the scene where it's revealed that the guy has cancer. What is that scene? They're just like sitting in the bus, his tour bus. And they're like, Oh, today was fun. Yeah. I bought all these toys. Don't you see them? Do up like a wide shot, pan through the thing. There's the toys. Thank you for, like, enrolling our daughter in this special needs school, even though she doesn't need it because she's just a precocious eight-year-old. But you understand that that doesn't, like, but we're cool, but it doesn't mean you're my dad now. Uh, awkward pause. I've got cancer. <laughs> like, these, the, it's not a well-written or directed movie.
0: No, probably not. There are a couple of nice shots. These platform shoes stepping out of cars that make him like three inches taller. Yeah. Now granted it does that shot three different times.
1: Yeah. Well it does that
0: shit a lot of times. His house at the very beginning is a nice idea.
1: But then like the the fiance's like you see her breasts for no reason. Like that movie didn't need to have her breasts. You're right. You know. And like the cocaine and the crucifix, like, give me a break. What? That was such a dumb, like... That's pro- Pacino probably does that. <laughs> Come on. I'm going to have to say that this movie is bad good, despite its best efforts... To be bad bad? To be bad bad. <laughs> no, I agree with Noah. It's a bad good movie. It's. Uh, I definitely recommend you see it just for Pacino's performance and for this song that will burrow its way into your conscious. Bum, bum, ba, hey, hey, baby, let's go. On. And you can even go on YouTube um, and just play the two minute and eight second clip of the track from the song, which is what we've been doing the past three days. <laughs> oh, by the way, the song that's supposed to be his comeback song. Is uh, so, so fucking bad. bad. And it was written by Ryan Adams. Yeah. Like, the Ryan Adams. Um,
0: but it's really funny because, like, Pacino cannot sing even a little bit. No. And he's, like, whispering this song about autumn leaves falling. And you have this really, not to spoil it, not really a spoiler, but you have this moment where he's trying to perform at, like, a small club. And, like, he's going to try to do his new material that he hasn't done in in forty years, but having watched him do the song in the hotel room, there's not
1: a mic in the world that could amplify his whispering right. to fill a whole room. That's a tough scene too, but uh, yeah, I mean that's because he never really does like perform that song, does he? Nope.
0: He just Which is baby funny doll. to
1: me because the whole thesis behind the song "Baby Doll" is about him being able to sing his song. I'm walking blind upon this road in search of higher ground. Walking blind upon this road in search I tell you what I like about hanging out in Lincoln for a couple of days. What's that? Or really any, maybe anyone can relate to this if they return to their college town. Um, just like having weird conversations with people you haven't seen in years. Mm-hmm. Last night was fun. We were down at uh, O'Rourke's on O Street in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I ran into... you um, have been there. You've been there. To O'Rourke's? Come I on. I almost wanted to go, but I've never Stop. been. job Okay. Um, I ran into this guy I used to wait tables with.
0: I looked over and thought that Noah was having a 40-minute conversation with people he'd never met before.
1: How was your... Because this is the first time you've been back to Lincoln or Omaha since you moved to Portland some months ago.
0: Yeah, it was fine. I mean, I've only been in Portland for, what, three months?
1: But this is the first time you've ever lived outside Nebraska and then returned. Like, what was the, how has this experience been?
0: It felt good. It was really nice to see. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say anything amazing about it. It was really nice to see all my friends. It felt, yeah. weird. It felt weird. felt weird because I, you know, after three months, you don't feel like you belong in the new place you're in, nor do you feel like you belong in the place that you left. Right. So, a bit like ben Mendelssohn in mississippi grind
1: well that's the the parallels we were sort of drawing on our next movie uh is the idea of not really like having a place that you like feel is your home yet and right. just sort of it's not you know it's not necessarily rooted in a place it's more rooted in a feeling and that's what i appreciate about this podcast is i feel like even if we are 3,000 miles away recording this or sitting in your childhood bedroom, you know, we're sort of embracing a a friendship. And ultimately, that's what Mississippi Grind is about. So why don't you walk us through the plot, Chance?
0: Yeah, and embracing a feeling uh, and a feeling alone is, is a good way also to think about these characters in terms of this being a really kind of stark uh, gambler's mentality movie. Yeah. Because those are all people who are even if thrill seeking is too strong a word they're only embracing a feeling they care none for like the trappings of comfort they are only looking for like a a set of
1: something experiential winning right or losing. the not even winning but like an an angle to potentially do better yeah like everything and every person and that's why this movie like it kind of fits our conceit about trying to like write your write your wrongs with your family before it's too late. But ultimately, this is the movie that doesn't it doesn't really happen. No. Aces are good, right? I'm usually good at reading people, right? But you're all over the map. I can't spot your toe. I wanna know why? Yeah. I don't care about winning. Where did you come from? Wait, I ain't got what do you have? Ben Mendelson is this guy who's like up to his eyeballs in gambling debts and meets Ryan Reynolds, who's this like fast talking, younger, good looking guy who can seem to, seems to have, you know, the world on a string. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they sort of team up to gamble their way through what the Midwest to the South to New Orleans. They
0: start in, they start in Iowa and in some of the like pool halls and card rooms that you've seen and, movies like Colored Money, like those very like yeah. snowy midwestern, and uh as they go it, it gets a little a little glitzier, a little uh Americana with more depth as yeah. they work their way on the esque journey.
1: Presumably and Ben Mendelson's definitely the protagonist in this movie, but presumably if he like makes however much money back to pay off his bookies and the people he owes money to, he like keeps teasing this idea of like, repairing his relationship with his wife. Right. But that's ultimately... That's just, like... A, it turns out to be just a massive, like, rationalization. Absolutely. Because that's never... Even if someone wrote him, a, like, a blank check for all the money in the world, like, that's not what he would do. It's
0: not in play. Like, it's an interesting... It's a... It's a buddy comedy... Right. That is...
1: It's funny as hell. Like, There are moments. some really
0: funny moments, because Ryan Reynolds is really funny. We'll get right. to that in a second. Yeah. But it's a buddy comedy on a level of uh, honesty that can actually is sort of troubling mm-hmm. because the idea that he would go back to uh, a family is false. Cause he's not this, the, the whole thing. These two team up not because of like any conceit about like an odd couple being together, but they are two people with a really, really like specific rare, um, self-hurting value system and right. that only works when you, when you have someone who's exactly like you.
1: These are people who just like to hang out. Step up to the edge and look down and, you know. But that's like an interesting thing and not to, I mean, there's no really spoiling this movie because the pleasure of this movie is just watching it and seeing these guys become friends and seeing what their friendship does to one another. Yep. But even like when they hit these benchmarks of either success or failure, like, or mostly with success it's like the steak doesn't taste very good when it's expensive yeah and he just wants a burger well so i agree with that
0: to a point but there's also why i think it's it's such a a good gambling movie because Right. because they make some money and then bust way out yep make some money again and, and it doesn't matter where it's a it's an it's a really episodic movie where the, where it's hard to say it's episodic, but without like a lot of memorable scenes, you know, like there's great talking scenes, but like there's never the scene with the great tracking shot as they're walking up to the casino. Right. Um, they're always just sitting and chatting. Yeah. Um, what was I about to say? Oh, it feels episodic in the sense that if you were to follow these two longer, the movie could end at any time and they would make some more money, and they would bust out again. Right. Because they're just chasing, like, one... This is what attracts uh, Ben Mendelson to Ryan Reynolds, by the way. Ben Mendelsohn is the more conventional sort of gambling addict mm-hmm. person who bets big in poker games at the wrong time, chases a a hand he's not going to get. Ryan Reynolds, like, dabbles in all these weird forms of gambling and, and kind of attracts Mendelsohn to him initially because he says he doesn't care about winning. He's just after, like, a certain set of feelings, whether it's... Uh, Dice or cards or darts or challenging strangers to one-on-one basketball games. He knows he can't win, right? He's an interesting character
1: Well, I think it's interesting because Ryan Reynolds. I mean, I wouldn't call him like a healthy his character like a healthy person, but he He has a lifestyle that works I mean, he keeps his relationships, like, very sort of shallow. He keeps moving. He keeps Machu, moving. It's always
0: Machu Picchu time. It's Machu Picchu time. The road.
1: But then when he encounters Ben Mendelsohn, and Ben Mendelson needs Ryan Reynolds to save him, to front him this money to potentially win big and pay back all this debt, I it's Ben Mendelson that brings down Ryan Reynolds and not that Ryan Reynolds props up Ben Mendelsohn. And I think like ultimately not to spoil the ending of the movie, but ultimately the, the realization these two characters make is that they, sh- they are not good for each other. So I feel like Ben Mendelsohn has played such like a schmuck lately. Like he's in uh, he's the like fuck up brother in bloodline. He's like the fuck up like a uh, friend in uh, the place beyond the pines. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? He's like in the same world and killing them softly. Um, he's kind of a fuck-up in a door. Did you ever see that terrible movie with Mm -mm. Naomi Watson? uh, Yeah, it's... He's just, like, really good at playing somebody who, like... Like, can't catch a break. But, like, because of his own... Yeah. Whatever it is.
0: And he's great at that in this movie. Like, he... It's interesting... It's interesting just to look at him. You know, he has... He's dirty. He's dirty, but he has... He has the eyes and like hair of like a very handsome like 16 year old boy right as like his face is is, like chin is because skin around his chin is kind of sagging yeah he's like he looks perfect yeah these sorts of roles and to your point there he's the sort of person who you you almost feel for like you almost have empathy
1: for right but at the
0: end of the day only end up having sympathy for you right
1: well because he's i mean he's a scumbag guy he's a scumbag But what I think keeps it from being too dark and too depressing and ultimately, like, kind of a fun movie is the fact that, like, finally Ryan... This is a movie that Ryan Reynolds, like, is truly good in. Yes. And it's a person who he's not... I mean, his arrogance works in a way that's kind of seedy and it's not too hammy. It's just like that... It's seductive to Ben Mendelsohn and seductive to you for the first
0: hour of this movie, like you think that this is the antithesis to Mendelssohn, and you right. never doubt for a second why they'd want to hang, why he'd want to hang out with him.
1: Right. So because that's, ta- yeah.
0: It takes the thing that in so many big-budget movies that like want to position him as a star, right. it takes that thing and realizes, no, the sort of person who behaves that way is either compensating for something or is deeply unfulfilled. Probably both.
1: Right. And he's good at that, and I think the best roles that he's had are, like, in this, like, I think he's pretty much, I think he's, I mean, it's not a great movie, but I think he's pretty brilliant in waiting, Mm. because he plays this guy, like, so full of his own confidence, but at the end of the day, he's just, like, he's a good waiter. Yeah. Like, he's just a charming nobody, and that's who he is in this, too, and I just, I feel like there's something about him that's, like, it's not... Maybe not like leading man, but like not superhero quality. And I feel like Hollywood has a tough time with these like strong masculine figures who cannot put on tights and yeah. just like assume they are like the Green Lantern or I mean, we'll see how, I mean, I think it's smart that they cast him as Deadpool. I don't think that movie's going to be very good because again, he's not just your average guy. He's not your just better than average looking person who happens to be charming too. Right. But at the end, it's just unfulfilled. And I think that's that's where he could do good work. Like, if he were given, like, the equivalent... to, I mean, maybe this is his shot, that he was given, like, this leaving Las Vegas level sort of role. Yeah. But I wonder if, like, he couldn't do more. Uh, if he did more stuff like that. Another thing I love about this
0: movie... This movie... Another reason it's a great gambling movie. It takes you to places. Like, there's there's a lot of moments in this movie, whether it's like the the poker tournament at the very beginning that feels like it's set like right after someone has cleaned up the continental breakfast at right. the hotel, or at the end when they're at this racetrack, the spaces that they go to and the people that they encounter are all these half empty empty spaces where none of the people are leading normal lives. Right. They're all like professional gamblers who are doing the same thing right. as them. And I think there is like this sense of Purposelessness and this sense of time passing, both really quickly and slowly, because you've got all these people who think they're no. It's one of the weird fallacies of gambling, is that if you get to know it really well and you think you're knowing it better and better, you're just getting closer to a fifty percent bottom line. Right. You're just gonna win and lose half the time. Like none of these people are really enjoying. Right. The way some rando walks into a casino and enjoys the idea they could win.
1: Right. Well, that's the thing is, like, it's a rejection of having an occupation, but it is a lifestyle. It is a job that Mm -hmm. takes 100% of your time and 100% of your soul. It's a Mississippi grind. Um, The idea that these guys trade in, like, legend and myth. Mm-hmm. And, like, Ryan Reynolds is always telling a story about some guy that he used to know who, like, did some crazy thing. Yeah. And, like, that's how he tr- – like, that's what he has to trade. Like, it's just a one big barter system. Right. Like, we'll uh, we'll sort of entertain this guy sitting here at the table with us and let us take his money or let us let him take our money if we feel as though we got something out of the transaction. And for him, his skill is to entertain and to amuse. And to, for sure its charm
0: it's interesting to think about uh akin to a movie like this movie in its own way kind of thumbs its nose at more entertaining gambling movies actually like a movie like rounders right like this movie doesn't believe any of the things that the majority of people would find fun about rounders right the idea that there is a big walkaway score right absolutely not the idea that the myths you're talking about are actually like meaningful on a symbolic level like that's yeah. debunked in this movie like right. there's this guy that ryan reynolds keeps talking about who uh ben Mendelssohn ends up like trying to visit at the end yeah and you're not sure if it's like even the right guy and like yeah. you're not sure if that
1: guy even likes the curtis character he seems like he definitely might not right like it's a. V- but even if it is like just because you had that reputation that it was it was never like uh permission to like know that person for sure
0: the I think the only thing that you could say as a knock on this movie is that it's uncomfortable. It's yeah. depressing because it is like a true movie about gambling. And right. And like a gambling life is a depressing life.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think any... But I think any movie about any sort of serious lifestyle occupation is also like ultimately it points its finger at the occupation as the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I think this movie is, you know, somewhat similar to, you know, even something as, like, glamorized, like, The Devil Wears Prada. Mm. Like, Meryl Streep is not leading a happy life. She's at the top. People know her name. You know, she's Anna Wintour or whatever but she's not leading a happy life. She's just living off this reputation, but because she's given so much of herself to just go forward and to earn the money and earn the respect and earn, you know, whatever power we think we have. But I feel like this movie just breaks it down that gambling is just whatever we want it to be. It's any occupation. I mean, I had a conversation like with a friend recently and, you know, cause I personally like think gambling, like I just don't get anything out of it personally. Um, and he's like, well, that's what every job is. You're just gambling. You're just doing it way slower.
0: Mm.
1: And that's true. I mean, you put in your hours, you get paid, but presumably you're going to do something that's going to make it worth it for you if to, having been there. And I just think that's an interesting way to look at it. But I think that that's the what I sort of found almost hopeful and charming about this movie is that these guys, are they're going to work. They're on a business trip. They have an end game, And I don't think, I think what's sensitive about this movie, as depressing as it is to see these guys who have no health insurance, who have no real family, who have no real connection, these are guys with the same approximate lifestyle as like a lot of like, you know, I mean, we just saw the big short, like Mm -hmm. some of these guys, they don't have home lives. It's all about the gamble. It's all about shorting the system. Right. And because they do it, you know, in suits and ties on, you know, one street in Manhattan, I don't think it makes it any less of a... You know, I I don't think it's any less glorified. So,
0: well said. Uh, It's a good good movie for me. Oh, definitely. It's a true, it's a true character study in the same way that that Half Nelson is. You watch it and you get the feeling, and I think you can tell by just the way that you and I have talked about it. Yeah. It's not a movie that foregrounds plot or story. Like you get the feeling, and it's absolutely the way it's shot too. That you're just watching two people behave and bounce off each other in a certain way in the story comes yeah. out of that. So that takes a little patience, but it's good, good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you're waiting, like Chance said, for that, like, you know, beating John Malkovich at the end of Rounders in order to get, yeah. like, the money, you're just not gonna... It's That's not what the movie's about. It's not, you know, 21 or something. <laughs> it's I've never seen that movie. It's okay for what it is. Yeah. Um, but that's not what it is. the The score is not the important part. It's how these guys do their thing, and how, their journey, so, definitely good, good. Hell yeah. You know what I think is also a good, good, Chance?
0: Our friendship?
1: Yes, <laughs> and hanging out! We're shaking hands. We're shaking hands, so you can't see it. It's something we typically can't do on the podcast. It's true, it's true. But, uh, yeah, this is, it's so nice sitting here in Omaha at your parents' house, just... Just on that Omaha grind. Mm-hmm. Not trying to think about going to work tomorrow. No, please yeah. no. Thanks for coming to Nebraska, buddy. Anytime. But really, probably well, only once or twice a year. Yeah, maybe like once or twice a year at most.
0: <laughs> As always, thank you everyone so much for listening. You Please find us on Twitter at BeRealGuys, real spelled like a film reel. You can listen to these episodes and you're listening to it one of these ways right now. But SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, check out berealguys.com, our website. Thank you, as always, to Mr. Michael Todd for designing that beauty for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And, and continuing to
1: maintain the integrity of it, uh, <laughs> despite chance and my wild ideas about what it should look like. So thanks for <laughs> staying patient with us, Michael. Um, Chance is our producer, I'm our moral support, I'm Noah, (laughs) continuing to build my birdhouse here in 2016.
0: Chance? Uh, you can't kill the demon without stabbing the good boy, but hopefully in 2016 you don't have to make that decision. Love you all. Goodbye.